Well, it's very common for a pastor to hear this on a Sunday. People meet you on the door, on the way out, at the door, on the way out, and they say this. This sermon was exactly what I needed today. Or they'll say, the sermon or God met me exactly where I am today. So how do you explain that? How do you explain when people say stuff like that? Well, some of you, I know what you're saying right now. Well, Pastor Jim, that's easy. Your sermons are so excellent. You're not saying that? Okay, you're not saying that. Uh, Doesn't matter anyway. LOL. I'm too old to believe that anyway. Practically speaking, the Lord knows that life, this side of heaven, in a sinful world, can be very, very difficult. And so when God meets us in His Word, it gives us an an inner peace, an inner confidence. Uh, Supernaturally speaking, God uses His Word to dig deep into our hearts and souls and change us from the inside out. Uh, So what the, the Lord does is He repeats in His Word simple Remember we say a lot of this stuff is so simple a child can get it, yet so complex theologians can argue about it for years or research it for years. So simple that he he repeats simple life-changing actions that will change the way that we see our circumstances. Typically, we think of it this way. We wait for our hearts to change and then figure we'll start to do the right thing. But the Lord says there's certain things we would rather we should do, and then we'll see that our emotions and our hearts come in tow, and then they begin to change. It's like a lot of times people say, well, I don't love my spouse anymore, and I would just say to them, well, act loving. They'll say, well, I don't feel loving. Act loving, and a lot of times your emotions go in tow with it. In a lot of ways, that idea of coming to church, God exposing you to his word, explains when you come and you hear the word of God that you actually sometimes throughout the week will find yourself doing or obeying the word of God without realizing you're even doing it, and then you begin to find peace. Two very common actions we want to look at tonight that God wants us to do that are repeated over and over again in the Bible are these two things, praise and trust. Praise and trust. Now, let's think about this for a second. Let's just think about praise just for a second first. Let's just think about when you come into church. And this would be even for, or maybe even especially for, people who are on the worship team. Are you, am I, are we really praising God from the heart, or are we just singing? Or maybe we're just mouthing the words, or maybe we're just kind of standing there like this. Would you say that you reflect, if you're a singer, are you, would you say that you reflect on the words that are coming out of your mouth? Is your heart really praising God? Or honestly, will you admit this, some of us, is your praise, your personal praise, is it flat? Is it just seem to be going nowhere? 
Well, next, we're having a lot of fun right now, aren't we? All right, next, let's talk about trust. It's Sunday. You hear a sermon about trusting the Lord, and, and you're, you're, you're moved. Your affections towards God are, are growing, and, and you've determined that you're going to change. And this week, you're going to trust the Lord. And the next thing you know, it's Monday morning. Would you say that your week is consumed with trust or with worry? What seems to have a, be- a bigger hold on you? A lot of times people tell me that they come to the Wednesday night service because they go, because I need something in the middle of the week because I'm already running out of gas. So would you say your week is consumed with trust or with worry? Because if it's consumed with worry, what is the effect that that has on praise? Basically, there's little to no praise at all. Now, there's 150 psalms, and every emotion imaginable is explored in the psalms, yet praise and trust is throughout the psalms as an important part of dealing with all those various emotions. Now, Psalm 146 is one of the last five psalms. It's all about praise, and it shows us how vitally important all the last five do, as do others earlier as well. And it shows us how vitally important praise is to a follower of Jesus. Now, the Psalms were songs that were sung by the people of God. We've said before, sometimes they called it the Semple, the Second Temple Songbook. And they were, they were songs often of joyfully looking forward in faith. It was a forward-looking faith way of thinking and singing for today, for the day they were living in, and for all eternity. And so let's jump in. Let's maybe even put ourselves in the second temple, not as nice as the first, with, with people. Maybe we've come back from the exile or something like that, and we're, we're gathered with the people of God, or maybe it's a, a Sunday morning. We're gathered together at church, and we read this, Psalm 146, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Now, it says praise the Lord. That's a translation of the word hallelujah. Praise, halal, yah, God. Hallelujah. And so the psalmist opens up with a call to praise the Lord. Now, in your Bibles, you'll notice that the Lord is all in capitals. Remember, Remember, that means that when that word Lord is all in capitals, that means Yahweh, the covenant name of God. And when we look at verse one, it looks like he's repeating himself. He says, praise the Lord, Praise the Lord, O my soul, but he's not. The first praise the Lord is plural. This is a call to the congregation. It's a call for the people of God to be excited and full of joy in God. Can I say that again? We want to make sure we nail that one down. It is a call, when he says, praise the Lord, a plural call to the congregation, to the people of God, to be excited and full of joy about the God, about God, to worship the Lord publicly. What does it mean to praise? Interesting, it means a lot of different things in the Old Testament. It can mean to sing, to bless, to rejoice, to thank 
to glorify, to admire, and to honor the Lord. And the word hallelujah, it's very interesting. There's secular songs that actually have the word in it. And it's a word that's thrown a lot, thrown around a lot in our culture. And it's such an important word. It's meant to call our attention to God. It's meant to call our attention to, to praise and to worship Him. It's meant to, as a reminder to the worship leader, to the worship team, and to the congregation that we are all to participate in the worship of God. But I'm afraid that today that's becoming, and those of us who've been around for a while as followers of Jesus, I'm afraid that's becoming less and less common as we go along. Much of the American church, or much of the music in the American church, and I don't want to be some grumpy old man, but I'm sorry, but a lot of the music, and this has been going on for a while, it's actually, it's self-centered entertainment. It's not necessarily really worshipful, and what happens is because we are an entertainment-minded culture, we entertain ourselves to death. You know, you look on your cell phone, you know, what to binge on Netflix, what to binge on, you know, Prime Video or something like that. And so right now we've sort of become in our churches a, a group of people that are just watching people on a stage. We're being entertained by them. We're, we're pe people who are showing off their talents to, to lazy congregations. That's why we don't have fog machines and all the crazy light and stuff like that, because we really don't want to be that way. Especially when you come to the Psalms and you think of the way they were singing. The Psalms were so deep. And, and the singing of them was meant to engage the mind of the congregation, was meant to engage the mind of all of the people of God. Not only just that, but just to teach us about God as we sing, and you could say this, that failure to concentrate would actually be failure to worship. Now, of course, today's day and age, we say failure to be in the room would be failure to worship because we tend to come late to church, something that I hope that once this virus stuff is over, people are going to say, you know what, I'm not going to be late anymore. I really appreciate what we had in worshiping the Lord. Now, the second half of verse 1 is singular. He says, praise the Lord, O my soul. This is a personal determination to praise the Lord. This is something that each and every one of us needs to make. The only way worship works as a congregation is if we all kind of make a personal determination that we are going to praise the Lord individually so we then end up praising the Lord congregationally and corporately. So what do we have to do? One of the things I'll often tell people is maybe for a bit, leave your problems to the side. Leave them in the car. Lay aside your difficulties and your fears and your pains right now and the psalmist, join the psalmist in praising the Lord. Why? So we can come to a greater knowledge of God from 
the word of God. And the psalmist praises the Lord in this way because he knows the Lord from the word of God. That's why I personally am not a fan of self-centered worship songs. I really don't want to come in and sing about me very much. I, you know, I just, it's not, maybe it's just not the way I roll or, or whatever, but I want to worship the Lord. I love the songs that acknowledge the Lord as King and as, and as Savior upon whom I am dependent. To put it to you this way, when I want to worship, I want to forget about me. Now, some of you are saying, I like to forget about you too, but, but, but I, want to, I want to worship the Lord and sort of just leave myself to the side for a bit, knowing that when I worship the Lord, that he strengthens me. Now, this is especially important for any kind of a leader. It's important for all of us, but it's important for any kind of a leader. Let me give you an example from my own life. As a Bible teacher, how can I expect you to be excited about the Word of God if I'm not? Well, let's open our Bibles. Of course, what's, the, what's exciting about that? I got so many emails this past week, and they were like, Pastor Jim, thank you for the passion. It's like nobody even really listened to what I was saying. They did, but, but just excited about, about me being passionate. So how can I expect you to be passionately excited about the Word of God if I am not? I don't know much, but I know this. If I wait until I stand in front of you or in front of the camera, if I wait until I get up in the pulpit to get excited, it's way too late. I'm not going to pull it off. And the psalmist wants his soul, he wants everybody corporately, but in, takes ownership for himself, wants his soul to praise the Lord. Now, we say, what's the soul? Well, for the Bible writers, the soul was the whole person. It was the mind. It was the will. It was the emotions. And our excitement and joyful adoration of the Lord testifies to people. You know what a testimony is? Somebody gets in courtroom, they give a testimony. They're telling the truth. It testifies that Jesus Christ is my Savior and my trust is in Him. I remember when, before I was a follower of Jesus, when I first came into a church, watching people sing, watching people worship, watching people actually worship in attentiveness of listening to the teaching of God's Word had a deep, deep effect on me. So may we be like the great men and women of the Word of God of old. Maybe we'd be like the great saints of old and be grieved at boring and lifeless worship and boring and lifeless prayer and boring and lifeless teaching of the Word of God. Verse 2, he says, While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. And so here the psalmist uh, declares and encourages to us that we are to praise the Lord, if you will, all the day long. He says, while I have my being. We are to praise the Lord 
every day and forever. Some versions say, he says, while I have my being. Some versions say, as long as I live. Now, we've talked about this many times before. There's always lots of talk of revival. But I think a lot of times we talk about it, and then we sort of kind of walk out, and we're like, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. We're not really so sure if, if we really believe that it's going to happen. We're sort of sitting on the sidelines waiting for God to do something, not realizing that we have a part to play in it as well. I will say this. When you participate in joyful praise, I think it will give you a hope of revival in the church. When you see God's people pouring their hearts out to him and desiring to live holy lives before him and to hear, you know, they open their Bibles because God is going to speak. It will really enlarge your heart. You know what? This revival thing is actually possible. More people can come to faith as God is enlarging our hearts so large that we will be overflowing with his grace and his love that we'll be able to share it with others. And so this is an exciting thing to think of. Let's think of it as this way. A new spirit of praise will be assigned to us in the church of the Lord's coming in power to save and the Lord's coming in power to grow the kingdom of God. And notice, again, the the psalmist knows that we are all participants. Look what he says again in verse 2. He says, I will, not I might, not I'll try better, I will. That is a determination. I will praise the Lord. I'm going to lay my feelings aside. I'm not going to be like, well, I don't really like this song or something like that. I'm going to lay it all aside, and I'm going to say, I will sing praises to my God while I have my being or as long as I live. Now, I believe with all of my heart this goes far beyond a church service. This is a lifestyle of praise that comes out of a constant awareness of God. You're constantly aware that he is with you. You are constantly aware that he is your creator. Because of Jesus, you are aware that your creator, the creator God is also your savior king. And that when we come to turn to God and put our trust in Jesus, that he becomes our heavenly father. This also provides for us and uh, all of the earth, uh, all of which point to he is worthy of our praise. So as we praise, we will point others to the fact that he is worthy of our praise. So this is an important point to see. In trusting him, we praise him. Did you catch that? In trusting him, we praise him. That's why I said when we pay attention to God's word, we are trusting him. We are, we are praising him. We are worshiping him. So in trusting him, we praise him. However, if we are not trusting him, if we are not attentive to him, then we are not praising him and we are not worshiping him. 
verse 3 and 4, we get a warning. He says, do not put your trust in princes. We might say, don't put your trust in the government. Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man. Now you say, isn't that what Jesus called himself? We'll get to that in a second. Nor a son of man in whom there is no help. Another version says, don't put your trust in human beings who cannot save. Another version says, do not put your trust in uh, uh, princes in whom there is no salvation. Verse 4 his spirit, the one, the prince, the, the human, the government, the people you would put your trust in other than God, his spirit or his breath departs. He returns to his earth. He goes back into the ground. Kind of reminds us of Adam, dust to dust. In that very day, his plans perish. So what is he saying? That that. The person you're trusting in eventually will die. And what you are hoping for that they would help you with, if you will, their plans die with them. If we're going to put our full trust in the Lord, that means we can no longer keep our full trust in the kingdom of man. I'm not saying we never trust people. But ultimately, our trust is in God and in the kingdom of God. Here's the reality. Even the richest and most powerful people in this world are here today and gone tomorrow. Their life is but a breath. You know, sometimes you ever get a magazine and maybe in the January edition, and and I'll have a couple pages of people who, famous, well-known people, rich people who died the year before, and you're thinking like, wow, I, you know, I remember watching their movie or something like that, and they, wow, they got older, or look how old they got. And, and, and life is it's just essentially, again, it's just a, a breath. And ultimately, no matter how rich they are, no matter how powerful they are, they can't save themselves. And if they can't save themselves, how are they going to save us? It's not possible. It's sim- the answer is it simply cannot happen. It's almost like the psalmist is also saying to us, how many bad leaders is the world going to have until we actually see it? How many bad leaders or leaders who just die are we going to put our trust in until we open up our eyes. It's like we're blind to it. We open up our eyes and see that the Lord is the only one who is worthy of our trust. You see, here's the deal. Even when you get a good leader, they eventually leave office. In Israel, they had good kings. Not perfect, but they had some good kings But what happened a lot of times when the good kings died? Their good plans, their good intentions often died with them too. And a lot of times their bratty kids took over and things got very, very bad. And so here, by use of a negative example, the psalmist calls us to a God-centered life. Not a man-centered life, a God-centered life. 
a life in which it revolves around God. We build our lives around the person of God and his word. Yet let's be honest. How prone are we to abandon God for people? Now, some of you are going, I don't do that. I don't do that. How many times have you blown off a commitment you had to God because of the pressure from friends or family? How many times have you just blown off worship, coming to gather with God's people, to hear God's word, because you didn't want to go maybe a little late to a family function? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things, but, but think about the times. Or, you know, the old joke we use, how many times have you decided on a Sunday morning to fellowship with, you know, Pastor Pillow and Reverend Sheets and just, you know, it's my only day to sleep. And we blow off God, we abandon God for people. We actually believe our own rationalizations. We're actually believing the stuff that we think is true. And deep down, we know it's not true. Even more so than abandoning God for people, again, we, we believe our own rationalizations. How often do we abandon God for ourselves? How often do we choose what we want over what God wants? How often do, rely, do we rely on our own wisdom over the wisdom of the word of the Lord? You know, sometimes you meet people like that and they're a little bit uppity about it. And I'll just say to them, well, how's that working out for you? How's that going for you? I, you don't get good answers. I know when I choose myself over the word of the Lord, it doesn't really work out well. And even if it seems to work out well, I know deep down what's going on. Now, verse 5 takes us in a completely different direction. Verse 5 takes us to a much better option, a much better way it's a way to be happy and to be hopeful. Something that, that, listen, let's be honest, it's not always easy to find, is it? Especially the days in which we, we live in. We're going to talk a lot about that kind of stuff on Sunday. And so he says, happy is the, verse 5, happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is is in the Lord is God. Happy, help, hope. Here we're told that, the, that, that of happiness, and some of your versions say blessed or blessed, that, that happy is the person that, that whose help comes from God. Happy is the person who, who trusts in God. Happy is the person who puts their hope in God. This is a direct comparison and contrast to verses 3 and 4. As God challenges all of us and says, who will you trust? Will you trust the princes? Will you trust the, the government? Will you trust the, 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 the wise and the beautiful and the rich? Will you trust all of those people or will you trust the Lord? Will you trust the Lord or will you trust humans? Will you trust the Lord or will you trust human institutions? And so the psalmist is telling us that the blessing of God is upon a certain group of people. Who are they? The people who asked the God of Jacob, the God, his name was Israel, also changed to Israel, 
But God blesses the people. The blessing of God is upon the people who ask the God of Jacob for help. So what does it mean to be happy or what does it mean to be blessed? Um, I'll say this. From God's perspective, it's not the way it's sold to us as Americans. Happy for us is, you know, everything's going our way. Blessed is kind of the same thing. Blessed is like, oh, I'm blessed. I got a lot of stuff. I'm really blessed. But clearly in the Bible, to be happy or to be blessed does not mean the complete absence of pain or hurt. To be happy, to be blessed, to be joyful means to have the presence of God in your life. It's knowing some key things about God. It's knowing that the Lord is personal and not distant. You never meet somebody who say, they're kind of hard to get to know. God is not like that. God is not like that. He knows you and I intimately well, and he wants us to know him the same way. It's to be blessed, to be happy, is also to know that God is active, not inactive. That God is active. He is helping you. He's not inactive. He's not like, hey, I wonder what's going on with Jim down there. You okay, buddy? Why don't you tell me? No, no, he knows. To, To be happy, to be blessed, is to realize that God is caring. He is not uncaring. Even when it seems like he's uncaring or inactive, he is caring. He cares. He's not uncaring. And it's important to see that here in verse 5, God is both our help and our hope. And very different than finite leaders, most of them are about their own agenda. But God knows that being our help and our hope is something that will actually help to make us happy in Him. The Lord's agenda is a lot of different things, but one thing it is, it's, it's loving His people. It's showing His people grace. It's showing His people mercy. It's providing His people hope in the midst of great despair. The Lord is so loving and so faithful, He even helped and kept His promises to that deceiver, Jacob. Then you might want to just write down and in the margin of your Bible, see Genesis 28. Now, I love the fact that he uses the old name here, who he used to be. So he's like, listen, you could be messed up. And if you want, if you want to be, he, he took his name from Jacob, he changed it to Israel. And I like it. He says, you could be messed up, but if you want to be happy, you, you, will, you will find happiness by asking the God of Jacob for help. You will find happiness when that God is your hope. Even the messed up guy found this way. He found this path. When Jacob was on the run, the Lord met him in a dream. When he was was not living the way he probably should have, God said, listen, man, I'm going to bless the earth through you. He says, I'm going to be with you. I'm never going to leave you. Now, if you feel today like you're this cosmic screw-up, I hope that gives you great confidence. That Lord, the Lord says, listen, I, I'm not done with you. 
there's still a lot of work to be done in all of us. But, but I'm going to bless people through you I, because I'm going to be with you and I'm not going to leave you. And people are going to begin to see the change in you. And they're going to praise God for it. Did you know that one of the greatest gifts that you and I can give others in our church and in our circle of friends is to be growing in our faith? When, when we see people, when I see people growing in their faith, it is so exciting to me. It is so good for my soul. It is so good for my heart. And this guy who, who lied, cheated, he did all kinds of stuff, his family become the 12 tribes of Israel. And one day, centuries later, a young woman from his family line would have a baby and they would call his name Jesus for he would save his people from their sins. You see, the Lord helped Jacob. The Lord transformed Jacob and he will help you too. He helped Jacob to be happy in the sense of knowing the presence of God, and he will do that for you too when he is your help. This is the way to experience the Lord as your present help and your eternal hope. It's the way to enjoy the God of the present, the past, the present, and the future, but the way for that to happen is first, he has to become your God. You have to put your trust in his provision for the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life, his son, the Lord Jesus. And the psalmists are just, they're written hundreds of years before Jesus. They're just looking forward to that day. How is an Old Testament saint saved? They look forward to the coming Messiah. What's a New Testament saint? A saint is anybody who's put their trust in God. They looked ahead. We're looking in the rearview mirror at what Jesus has already done. So in verses 6 and 7, the psalmist gives us four reasons why we can be happy and hopeful in the Lord. Each begins with the word who. Let's look at verse 6 first. He says, Who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever? Another version says, Who is faithful forever? So first the psalmist says, Our hope is in the eternal creator God, who is, number two, always faithful and therefore always available to help. I wonder if we think about that enough. Do we really think about that enough? A lot of times in Christianity, and we, we think of, of being saved. If you don't know what that means, it means that you put your trust in Jesus. He no longer counts you, God no longer counts your sins against you. He counts them against Jesus, and he counts Jesus' perfect righteousness as if it's credited to, it is credited to your account. And so we think that God saves us. He, he gives us the forgiveness of sins. He gives us eternal life. But he also helps us now. He is always helping us now. No matter what we're doing, he is helping us now. 
And we've said this before. I think this is one of the dangers in the church that we have an overemphasis on decisions for Christ. It's good to make decisions for Christ, but we are to be really focused on what Jesus said is making disciples of Christ. Because if we're only focused on decisions and not discipleship, that explains why so many people fall away. Well, I did what the guy said. I went to the front. I prayed the prayer. I asked Jesus into my heart, and my life was a calamity. What's going on? That's why you'll notice that when we come, the way we do it here is we teach the Word of God. What are we doing? We're teaching you about God. We're teaching you the way He operates, and we're teaching you the way that, and I'm learning all the time, that, that the way God wants us to respond to Him. What is that? That's discipleship. Learning how to walk with God as we're learning about God, being loved by Him and loving in return. What is that? That is discipleship. So you see, if you make a decision for something, it's almost like, it's almost like oh, it comes with a 30-day guarantee or a 90-day guarantee. If it doesn't work out for you, you can return it. No questions asked. That's not what we want it to be. We want it to be like a good marriage. When things are going bad, a good marriage doesn't say, how am I going to get out of this? It says, how am I going to get through this? A good marriage says, well, I'm not going to leave my spouse over this. I love them. The same thing is true in discipleship. We're learning so much about God. We're falling deeper and deeper in love with the God who loved us so much that he gave his own son to die on the cross for us. And something goes wrong. Life just goes sideways. I know this from, I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me. And I think, why do I bother? And then I say, Lord, I'm sorry. I can't leave you. I can't. Because you love me so much. I just can't do it. And if you're not there, that's what discipleship is about. Not a bunch of self-help sermons. Not a bunch of everything has to go great all the time. It's being dug so deep that no matter what happens, and this is the transition we're going to see that, that Habakkuk makes this weekend, that you're so deep in God. Remember we said this weekend that you can't lose him and he can't lose you. You just get to that place. This is this going onward in our faith is what we call the doctrine of the perseverance of the faith. You know, it's actually one of perseverance of the saints. It's also called, it's, it's one of the few things I think theologians really can actually come together on. And, and I believe with all of my heart that it's God who keeps his children. I, I, I make no, I have no thing about me that I think like, oh, I'm, well, I'm doing the right thing and, and God is doing that. Even, even when I say, God, I love you too much to leave you, I know that's the grace of God operating in my life. But I will tell you this, loved ones, I'm learning and I've learned and I continue to learn that we persevere in God when we are keenly aware that the Lord is persevering with us. You might want to write that down. We persevere with God when we are keenly aware that He is persevering with us. We persevere with God when we know that we are Jacob who's going to become Israel. We know that we persevere with God, that though we're, we're kind of messed up now, but we're, we're moving onward in grace towards being the person that God has for us to be. Verse 7, 
Verse 7, I want to read it twice. It means a lot of interruptions. Who executes judgment. Remember, we're going the who's and the reasons to be happy and hopeful. First one, God made heaven and earth. Second, he's faithful forever. Third, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. And then we'll stop right there. The, The rest of the verse says the Lord gives freedom to the prisoner. So he executes justice for the oppressed. Now, justice is a big topic in our day. But the reality is that only God can execute true and pure justice. And note this. Don't don't get this one wrong. No matter what it looks like now, the Lord sides with the truly oppressed, not with the crooked and powerful. The Lord will not die like men, nor will the Lord's plans die. And so the psalmist wants us to see that choosing him should be the obvious choice. He says, who gives food to the hungry? So it's God who provides food for the planet. In the Psalms, it talks about that, how how God has this total plan of just bringing food to the planet. You know, it rains and all the way he does everything. And the planet has a lot of food. We just have a distribution problem. In verse 7 ends, he gives more uh, of the acts of the Lord who helps it. Maybe this could belong in a different, in, in verse 8. But it says, the Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. Verse 8, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Now, let's go back, you know, well over 2,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago, and let's think how they would think about this. They would say that the Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. Now, we think of ourselves as being prisoners of sin or an addiction or something like that, but there were many people who were who were in debtor's prison, who were, who were imprisoned wrongly. He says, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. We take glasses for granted, don't we? I mean, just, just try a day if you wear glasses, living without your glasses. And that's what it was like for people a, a long time ago. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. Doing such heavy, common labor all day could kind of hunch you over. That's why a lot of us have bad backs who did a lot of labor at a point in our lives or maybe still doing it now. It could be talking about slaves, those who are bowed down. It could be talking about people who are discouraged, people who are in need of hope. The Lord loves the righteous. Now, you're like, why would he say that? Because the righteous often have a very tough time in this world. When you want to live for God, you're going to suffer ridicule. When, when you live for God, there's going to be people who are going to sometimes make your life miserable. You may lose your job over it. Verse 9, the Lord watches over the strangers. The Lord watches over who? People who are easily exploited. People who are easily exploited. It's like the guy's waiting at the bus station or the train station. It's like, hey, come here, let me tell you what's going on in New York or something like that. He relieves the fatherless and the widow. Those were among the most vulnerable people in the ancient world. But 
But the way of the wicked he turns upside down. Oh, they, they, they'll have their day right now maybe. But, but another version says he frustrates them. Another version says he will bring them to ruin. Now, many people think they're quoting the Bible when they say this. God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard anybody quote that Bible verse to you? Just, if you do, just say, could you do me a favor and find that one? Uh, because that's not in the Bible. Uh, that doesn't mean we're idle. There's some things that we have to do. But, but I think it's more accurate if you want to try and somehow rearrange the wording uh, to say that the Lord helps those who cannot help themselves. So you, we, we saw when we studied the Proverbs years ago that, that laziness is a bad thing. But so is not helping people who can't help themselves. Not only that, he says that the Lord will frustrate the, the plans of the wicked. It, it, it's going to take time, but he's going to do that. And, and and while it may not appear obvious here, the, the salvation and judgment theme of the Word of God is right here. How is it here? God is going to help the righteous. And He's going to save the righteous. Those who have identified with His Messiah. And He's going to punish the wicked. So verse 10, the psalm ends with a reason for praise and trust, a, a reason for all of us to rejoice and sing. The Lord shall reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So here is the promise of the great king. He shall reign forever. So what happens? The true people of God faithfully wait for the faithful king. That's the way we live. And we can still enjoy him now as we wait for him. We wait for his perfect kingdom to come. And we actually got a little glimpse of it or a big glimpse of it, depending upon how uh, you know, your soul is, is growing, your spirit's growing. We got a glimpse of it when King Jesus, God became a man, came to earth. And though the Psalms in the Old Testament was written hundreds of years before Jesus came, there was tons of promises of the Messiah. And God was faithful to keep his promises of the Messiah. And, and interesting how Jesus was so consistent with the Old Testament. How often people say, I don't want any part of the Old Testament, but Jesus was so consistent with it, and he preached out of it so often. You know, we, we just have talking about how God would take care of us as long as we put our hope in him. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Don't worry. Your heavenly Father, man, he, he knows what you need. Look at the birds. I mean, he takes care of them. He'll meet your needs. Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things that you need will be added to you as well. When John the Baptist was in prison, he, he wondered if Jesus was indeed the Messiah. 
And so he sent two of his disciples, followers of John the Baptist, uh, to Jesus to ask. And this was the question John the Baptist had. He wanted to know, are you the coming one? Are you the one who is to come? Are you the one that, that, the, that the Bible writers of the Hebrew Scriptures and the prophets and the psalmists and, and Moses and, and all these great writers and King David, are you, are you the one that, that they were speaking of? Jesus said this, does it, these words remind you of the psalm we just read, Matthew 11, 4 and 5? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. Jesus says, go back to prison and tell him. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, if you know your Bible, you, you know that John the Baptist was beheaded in earthly terms, John was not a prisoner set free. Oh, but our brother John is free now. He is freer than he could have ever been on earth. And so why do people who love Jesus, why, why, why did they die? Why are they now with God? That's because there's still much kingdom work to be done. That work is to be done in what we call the last days, the time in between His first coming and His second coming. Who is that work to be done by? Well, right now, it's to be done by you. It's to be done by me. It's to be done by the church. I've heard from a lot of moms that, that like, man, this time with my kids cooped up has been really, really rough. Oh, sisters, let me tell you, you're doing kingdom work. You're doing kingdom work. Disciple those little ones. Teach them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. We are, as the church, we are to invite people into our praise. We're not, we're not, we don't want people coming into our church services going, oh, it's a concert. Everybody's standing. Some people are sitting and they're watching the guy on the stage. Oh, look, they have the lyrics for us. Why do they have the lyrics for us? Nobody's singing. We don't want to be that. We want to be the people who they're looking at us and they're going, what is going on with these people? It's like they really believe what they're singing. We want to invite them into our praise. The psalmist tonight has invited us into his praise. We want to invite people into our praise. We want to invite people to put their trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. We want to teach them that he's at work in their lives even now, no matter how things are going. And then what do we want to do? We want to send them to tell others. We, want to, we don't want to stop their excitement. We want to help put gasoline on the fire of their excitement. We are to go out and to explain to a lost and hurting world how we can be happy and hopeful in the midst of incredible difficult times. Perhaps tonight, you are in the modern sense a prisoner to something. Jesus wants to set you free. 
perhaps when it comes to God, you have been blind and, and you need to see. Jesus wants to open your eyes and help you see who he is. Now, listen, really, it, 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 people say, well, if I could see, I could believe. But, but we know that it's really we believe, we trust, and then we see. Perhaps you're knocked down tonight. Perhaps you're oppressed. And you need Jesus to lift you up. Today, Jesus extends that hand to you and calls you to trust him no matter what's going on. But most of all, verse 8 says, the Lord loves the righteous. The Lord has a special love in his heart for all those who turn from going their own way and turn to him and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3 said, Do not put your trust in princes, nor a son of man, talking about mere humans, a son of man in whom there is no help. But centuries later, not a son of man would come along. The son of man would come along. His name, Jesus Christ the righteous, the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Glory Himself came down the stairway of heaven to this world to walk among us. Love walked among us. And He is the only one who can provide salvation and true hope and true help. Verse 5 said, Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Let me ask you, friend, do you want that happiness? Do you want that hope? Do you want that glorious presence? And do you want that glorious future? If yes, tonight, either for the first time or once again, put your trust in the Lord Jesus and lead a life of praise and lead a life of trust and you will be the blessed man and the blessed woman. Well, let's pray. Well, God, we thank you for the Psalms. We thank